The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. New controversy in what's already been a rocky rollout for the AstraZeneca Oxford University COVID-19 vaccine. A key Fed head speaking out over the U.S. recovery and the long road ahead to get to where we once were pre-pandemic. President Biden reportedly ready to concede over his calls for a 28% corporate tax rate. The chief executive at Credit Suisse reportedly getting an earful from his own bankers amid mounting scandals and the always outspoken Peter Thiel at it again, this time targeting Google and what he sees as questionable ties to China. It's Thursday, April 8th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chu, and we are in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Here is how stock futures are looking to kick off this Thursday morning. After coming after coming this coming after a muted session on Wall Street that saw the S&P 500 eke out a fresh record close. Investors are holding their breath ahead of the upcoming earnings season, kicking off with the big banks next week. And then thanks to last year's recession, we'll be seeing some strong growth rates to kick off the year. Now, the first quarter will likely be the second strongest quarter of the year for earnings growth, with earnings expected to rise some 24 percent, as you can see here. According to Refinitiv, Q1's earnings expected earnings growth will be the strongest since the third quarter of 2018. But the strongest quarter this year will come with a Q2 number with a 54% jump in earnings. At that rate, Q2 earnings would be the highest in more than a decade since the first quarter of 2010. As for the full year, 2021's expected earnings growth of 26% would be the second strongest annual earnings growth since 2000 and the best annual growth since 2010. Now, on a sector basis, more than half of the S&P 500 will see sectors exceeding Q1 2019 levels. According to Refinitiv, those six sectors include consumer staples, healthcare, materials, technology, communication services, and utilities. Only two sectors are expecting negative earnings growth in the first quarter, and that's industrials and energy. Now, around the world, a mostly higher recession in Asia that saw Hong Kong and Australia jump more than 1%. You can see they're just about flat 
for the Shanghai Composite and about 1% gains for the Hang Seng in Hong Kong. The Nikkei in Japan flat as well. Let's spin around to what's happening with Europe. Just getting, we'll say a little bit early in the trading day over there. You can see about a half a percent gain there for the CAC in France and about a quarter percent gain for the FTSE 100 in the United Kingdom. Well, back home, a very busy day in our nation's capital as President Biden adds a new item to his agenda while continuing to sell his infrastructure plan to his own party and, of course, beyond as well. NBC's Tracy Potts joins us now from Washington, D.C. with the latest there. Good morning, Tracy. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Today he's taking up gun control again. There's been a big push since the mass shootings in Atlanta, Colorado and California to get Washington to do something about guns. A senior administration official tells us what the president will announce today is a first step. The White House is announcing six executive actions on guns. President Biden will talk more about them today. They direct the Justice Department to restrict homemade weapons known as ghost guns, restrict stabilizing braces that turn pistols into rifles, resume firearms tracking that stopped more than 20 years ago, and draft state red flag laws allowing relatives and police to ask a judge to keep weapons from people in crisis. Keep guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't own them. The president will also announce funding for community violence intervention and nominate former ATF agent David Shipman to head the agency that's only had a permanent chief for two of the last 15 years. Still, the heavy lifting is up to Congress. Two laws requiring universal background checks await a Senate vote. I'm not interested in taking away the Second Amendment rights of any American. This is not about getting rid of the Second Amendment. It's simply about saying we need reasonable gun safety laws. After recent shootings in Atlanta and Colorado, President Biden is urging Congress to act. The only gun control legislation ever passed is mine. It's going to happen again. The question is when. And the question is also how Democrat Joe Manchin saying in a new Washington Post op-ed that he will not vote to weaken or restrict the filibuster that requires these parties to work together, Dom. At least 10 Republicans have to sign on with every single Democrat to get anything done. A very interesting dynamic developing in Washington with regard to that. Tracy Potts in Washington, D.C., thank you very much for that. Now, sticking with the Beltway and President Biden's economic agenda, Reuters is reporting that after interviewing more than a dozen corporate and White House officials involved in the infrastructure push, most expect the president will compromise on a 25 percent corporate tax rate. That's down from the proposed initial 28 percent out there. From the report, one energy lobbyist telling Reuters, quote, we don't like it, but we would consider that a win. Well, Amazon's closely watched union vote in Alabama had a voter turnout of around 55 percent, according to one trade group. And now a public vote tally is expected to begin as early as today. More than 3,200 mail ballots were received by the U.S. National Labor Relations Board in an election open to over 5,800 workers at Amazon's warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama. And Federal Reserve Governor Lael Brainerd speaking out on the uneven U.S. economic recovery, telling Closing Bell just yesterday we are still far from where we need to be. The outlook uh, has brightened considerably, but of course our monetary policy forward guidance is premised on outcomes, uh, not the outlook. Um, And so it is uh, going to be some time 
before both uh, employment and inflation uh, have uh, achieved uh, the kinds of outcomes that uh, are in that forward guidance. Well, Brainerd also adding with more than nine million jobs short of where we were pre-pandemic and the reduced participation rate, unemployment looks more like nine percent than it does the headline six percent we see in the, the, the statistics around the jobs report. Well, back to the markets. Futures are ticking higher following the S&P 500 finishing at another record close. Joining me now is Invesco head of North America investment grade and senior portfolio manager Matt Brill. Matt, you heard uh, Governor Brainerd's comments with regard to what's happening with the uneven U.S. economic recovery. We're also seeing an interest rate dynamic play out that prices in what should be growth lying ahead. Where is the disconnect between the markets and the economy right now? Hey, good morning, Dom. Yeah, so you you heard from the Fed yesterday and we read through the notes and previously they had stated that um, they're not even talking about talking about uh, <laughs> raising rates, and that, that's what they reiterated in those notes yesterday. So um, they're not going to be raising rates anytime soon. They're really telling you, though, they need to see the economy improve before they're going to continue or even consider tapering. So we have a long way to go in that regard. So with that, if the Fed's not doing anything on the short end, the short-term interest rate side of things, yet the long-term interest rates continue to creep higher, Does that then mean that we are in a scenario where the economy is forecasted to be better, that we will see growth ahead, that the yield curve steepening, so to speak, is going to be constructive overall for places like the banks and other places in the credit economy? Yeah, that's our general take right now. We do still like the steepener. We think front end rates are are completely anchored. The Fed will not move through 2023. They reiterated that through their notes yesterday. But they're also still buying $120 billion of of fixed income per month, and they're not going to be tapering off of that anytime soon. So with that, rates will be likely going higher, but limited in how much they can really go higher. What exactly is playing out right now with regard to corporate credit? One of the things that, Matt, that we brought up yesterday was this notion that we are seeing relative, and that's always a word the markets, relative stability in the high yield side of the market, yet we're seeing a continued continued move lower in prices for corporate credit on the investment grade side of things. Mutual funds and investment grade ETFs continue to see outflows. What exactly is driving that besides the fact that we see interest rates moving higher on the Treasury side of things? Yeah, so it's, it's been almost exclusively because of interest rates. And so credit spreads are actually pretty much flat on the year. Um, but what you're seeing overall is that um, you had a really tough quarter. You had about minus four and a half percent for investment grade corporate credit for the first quarter of the year. That's the, wor- the worst start we've ever had in the second worst quarter in history. Um, but with that, you've seen some stability the last week or so. We're seeing significant inflows from Asia on the institutional side. We're not seeing retail step back in yet. But on the institutional side, pension plan rebalancings, foreign inflows from Europe and Asia, those have really started to support the market. Are there things in, in the credit market right now that, that scare you, that give you pause, give you a little bit of worry right now, given what we've seen with interest rates, given what we've seen with the equity markets right now? Does it feel like the markets are at least at a pause type moment? Well, we're, we're not scared about fundamentals. I think I have some fears about you know, just the economy overheating this summer. Um, I don't know that they, I definitely don't think it's a long term thing, but this summer things are going to get really, really hot for the economy. And with that, you're going to see some inflation prints that are really going to pick up. And with that, you'll have some concerns that the market's going to have a few panic days for sure. Um, but overall trends for corporate credit are really, really good. Corporations are paying down debt. You're starting to see investment grade companies borrow less money. They're going to borrow about 30 percent less 
money in 2021 versus 2020. So the fundamentals are in place for a really good corporate market, but the overall interest rate volatility is still here to remain. All right, Matt Brill, thank you very much for the thoughts. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, more headaches for AstraZeneca and its troubled COVID-19 vaccine rollout. A live report coming from London next. Plus, the U.S. is getting ready to welcome its first new airlines in more than 15 years. And later on, small business speaks out on the state of the U.S. recovery and what more needs to be done. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on some of these big stock movers of the morning so far. Costco says sales rose nearly 18 percent in March, topping $18.2 billion. Same store sales were up more than 16 percent with almost 14 percent rise in the U.S. Online sales jumping 58 percent. Costco has benefited from stockpiling during the pandemic, but its costs have also increased. Those shares up about one third of one percent in the pre-market. Twitter reportedly discussed buying Clubhouse, the hot social audio application, for about $4 billion. Those talks have now stalled, but it's unclear why. Bloomberg reports Clubhouse is now exploring ways to raise funding from investors at the same valuation. Clubhouse launched last year and says it has more than 10 million active weekly users. Twitter shares up about 1.5% in the pre-market trade. And Tesla has refunded customers it charged twice when they bought a new vehicle at the end of the first quarter. The move follows reporting by CNBC and a review by a YouTuber who urged buyers to use a cashier's check instead of letting the company debit their bank account directly. Customers who spoke with CNBC say their refunds took about a week to come through after they complained about the double charge. Tesla shares up about 1% trying to bounce back from a down day yesterday. Well, still on deck for the show, the always outspoken Peter Thiel taking aim at Google over what he sees as questionable ties to China. Today's big number, 56 million. That's how many verified users Coinbase had during the first quarter of this year. That's an increase of over 30% from the prior quarter. Coinbase's monthly transacting users more than doubled in that period. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
Welcome back. Small business closures due to the pandemic peaked last May, but a new report out from Facebook and the Small Business Roundtable notes that as of February this year, closure rates have crept back up to near those pandemic highs, with 22 percent of U.S. small businesses reporting that they have closed. Let's bring in John Stanford, co-executive director of the Small Business Roundtable. John, thank you very much for joining us here this morning. Let's take us through some of the report's findings. How bad is it for small business right now? I think we've lost John Stanford's audio there for a second there. All right, we'll try to get him back there for us now. But let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. In the meantime, NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest there. Good morning, Philip. Hey, Dom, good morning. Mixed signs of hope and concern this morning in the fight against COVID. The good news is the CDC says one in four adults in the U.S. is now fully vaccinated and nearly 110 million people have received at least one dose. But despite that, cases and hospitalizations are on the rise. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department announced new details in that crash involving Tiger Woods. Investigators say the golf great was driving in a residential neighborhood going 84 to 87 miles per hour, nearly double the speed limit when he lost control. He then struck a tree at 75 miles per hour, sending his SUV airborne. He never hit the brakes. It's believed that Tiger Woods inadvertently hit the accelerator instead of the brake pedal. He is now at home recovering from his injuries. And finally, Amanda Gorman is living her best life in 2021. The 22-year-old has become the first poet to ever appear on the cover of Vogue magazine. On Instagram, Gorman says she is eternally grateful to grace the cover and that she doesn't expect to be the last poet to do so. That's the latest from here, Dom. Back to you. All right, Philip Mena, thank you very much for those headlines. We appreciate it. Well, let's get back to John Stanford, the co-executive director of the Small Business Roundtable. He's back with us right now. Let's see. John Stanford, can you hear me now? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> All right. So, so let's get back to my original question before the audio problems happened here. I'm curious, John, we know that small businesses are hurting right now. Just how bad is it? It continues to be a very painful time for America's small businesses. In our research uh, that we partnered with Facebook uh, to really get our updated sense of how things are going, we're seeing multiple conclusions. But the first one is it is still very challenging out there. We see closure rates of small businesses north of 30 percent in some states. And that gets to the second conclusion. We're seeing different things in different states. We're seeing closure rates in some states Uh, as low as 9%. And we're seeing in other states closure rates as high as 30%. So the key takeaway is things are still very challenging. And it only gets worse for our minority-owned and women-owned businesses. So so take us through, John, what exactly is is the reasoning behind that? I mean, we see that the economy, I mean, yes, we know it's bad. It's getting better. But the trajectory seems to be playing out positively in many other parts of America. What is it about the small business environment that makes it that much more difficult for them versus some of the other parts of the economy? So I think we have a few elements at play here. First of all, many small businesses benefit from retail and foot traffic. And we just know that that's been down for over a year now. And it will take some time to bounce back. In our previous report, small business owners said they needed six months of a good economy and an open economy to really get back in shape. And of course, that time hasn't come to pass. But we also see that small businesses, they're really our frontline defense for the business community. They feel impacts first, 
and those impacts stay the longest. And so while larger companies with larger capital reserves may be doing okay, small businesses, you know, they can't just take the risk to stay open. And I think we're seeing that play out with these high numbers. They're not ready to jump back in it. And that's very concerning. So, so how critical was it? Uh, this notion we, we have now as a nation thrown trillions, literally trillions of dollars at the U.S. economy. A lot of that money has gone to small businesses. Two rounds of PPP loans, a lot of unemployment assistance, uh, pandemic assistance in various forms. How critical was that for the small business environment in the U.S. over the course of the past 12 months? Oh, we found that it was instrumental. I think we would be facing a calamity of unimaginable proportions if those supports hadn't been there. But we have to remember that PPP, much vaunted program, it's been discussed about a lot, was it, it is a bridge program. It was meant to keep people on the payroll. It wasn't meant necessarily to keep businesses open. And another compelling finding from the research is some of the challenges around workforce. I'm pretty worried about small businesses picking up their hiring even when they do open because 27% of small businesses reduce their workforces and more than half aren't sure that they're going to rehire everyone that they had to let go. So PPP and others helped get us through really a shutdown of a year's economy, but I think we've got a tough road ahead. We've just got a few moments left here, John, before we let you go. What exactly will get small businesses comfortable again and and perhaps positive about their trends going forward? Entrepreneurs are survivors. We reopen the economy. We reopen states. When things get back to normal, we are going to come back in a fast way. Until then, things like the new restaurants program, which weren't able to get into the PPP program, the venues program, all of these are going to make a difference. But when life picks back up in just a few months here, you're going to see small business numbers turning around. All right. John Stanford with the Small Business Roundtable. Thank you very much. And good luck to all those small businesses out there. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Straight ahead on the show, getting it from all sides. The top boss at Credit Suisse fielding a lot of questions with very few answers amid the bank's latest scandal. Latest. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange each morning, check us out on Apple or Spotify or other podcast applications. We'll be right back after this. New hurdles for AstraZeneca's COVID vaccine rollout as several countries around the world raise fresh questions about that treatment. We are live in London with the latest there. Peter Thiel sounding off on two of the tech sector's biggest titans. The new criticism the investor is serving up on Apple and Google over their ties to China. And as the airline industry begins to creep back to life, Phil LeBeau is standing by with the new details on the new carrier looking to give flyers a new option in the friendly skies. It is Thursday, April 8th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Steve Miller band there for you. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. 
Here is how futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. You can see here the Dow is implied higher by just about four points here. Modest, modest gains. The S&P 500 implied higher by 11 points. And the Nasdaq showing some real signs of life right now, up about 94 points implied at the opening bell if these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. Stocks are coming off a mostly muted session yesterday that saw the S&P 500 hit a record close, at least. You can see there the CBOE volatility index also moving 17, eh, it's a little bit lower here. The wild swings are abating for the time being. Volatility is way down. The VIX is now trading at its lowest level, by the way, since pre-pandemic. Not to be left out, the Dow Transportation Index hot streak continues on pace for its longest weekly winning streak since, get this, 1989. And the names you need to know in record territory right now, Facebook, Microsoft, Alphabet, McDonald's, Stanley Black and Decker, just to name a few here, all-time highs hit in just over the course of the last couple of days. Waste management, Sherwin-Williams, and more, all of these at record high levels. We'll keep an eye on those. All of this as investors await the start of earnings season, kicking off with the big banks, of course, next week like they mostly do. Delta, Bed Bath & Beyond also due out in the coming week. Now, according to Refinitiv, The first quarter's expected earnings growth should be the strongest since the third quarter of 2018, with earnings expected to rise 24% year over year. As for the full year, 2021's expected earnings growth of 26% would be the second strongest annual earnings growth since 2000 and the best annual growth since 2010. So some big, big moves for earnings expected. Let's now get to that developing story around the world involving the AstraZeneca Oxford University COVID vaccine and questions about possible blood clots stemming from that shot. Now, Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in London with more on these developments. Good morning, Juliana. Dom, good morning. Well, yesterday was a big day for the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine here in the UK and also on the continent. Both the UK and EU medical regulators held press conferences yesterday at the same time where they delivered their conclusions after looking into the possible links between AstraZeneca and a very rare, a very rare uh, number of blood clots. So here's what they found. Starting in Europe, the European Medicines Agency concluded that there is a possible link between the vaccine and these very rare cases of blood clots. And when I say rare, this review was based on 86 cases of blood clots reported in the EU drug safety database. Uh, 18 of these were fatal, but this was out of 25 million people who had received the vaccine. But because they were not able to identify or confirm any specific risk factors, the EMA stopped short of restricting use of the vaccine. Now, it was a slightly different case in the UK. So let me walk you over to what we heard from the UK medical regulator yesterday. Similar messaging here. The regulator said that there is uh, there is mounting evidence of a link between the vaccine and these cases of rare blood clots. But they said that the uh, benefits continue to outweigh the risks for the vast majority of people. But they now say that those under the age of 30 should seek an alternative vaccine when one is available. Now, they said this is not due to any specific safety concerns, but rather out of caution. The UK prime minister insists this won't derail the UK's vaccination rollout. It simply means that they will have to rely on Pfizer and Moderna for now for this younger age group and then potentially down the line on Johnson and Johnson and Novavax should those vaccines be approved here in the UK. Dom? 
Juliana, I, I wonder, here in the United States, we have, a, we have a, a decently positive trajectory with regard to vaccine rollouts here. How, how long will it be exactly before we can see a widespread distribution for vaccines that can target just about everybody who wants to get one in the United Kingdom? Well, here in the UK, the vaccine rollout has been billed as one of the key successes of the UK government. And Boris Johnson, the prime minister, saying that we will be on track still to provide every adult who wants one a vaccine by the end of July. Now, as I mentioned, this does put a lot more reliance on the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines coming through from a supply perspective. It also puts more pressure on the NHS, which to date has been operating uh, on the basis of offering any vaccine they have to any person. Now, because of these, this new guidance, they will have to reserve those doses for the younger crowd and give the AstraZeneca vaccine to those who are above 30 years old. A very different story in the EU, which is under a huge amount of pressure, and they have been criticized for their slow vaccine rollout. And in terms of the countries and their reaction to the EMA decision yesterday, it hasn't been a unified response. We have the uh, Spain and Italian health authorities moving to limit use of the vaccine to those who are above the age of 60. Other countries taking different measures. So a varied response from the EU here in the UK. We are sticking to that timeline of late July. All right, Juliana Tettelbaum with uh, live with the latest there on the AstraZeneca vaccine rollout in Europe. Thank you very much for that. Now on to some of your morning's other top stories. The CEO of Credit Suisse is reportedly facing increased criticism from within his bank amid the growing fallout over the Archegos capital management meltdown. According to a Bloomberg report, Thomas Gutstein met with a dozen managing directors via conference call Tuesday following the revelation that the bank stands to lose as much as $4.7 billion. The report says Gottstein was grilled on Credit Suisse's exposure and risk profile, as well as why it may lose so much more than its rival banks. Peter Thiel is criticizing Google and Apple over their ties to China. Speaking at an event, Thiel slamming Google for its work on artificial intelligence with Chinese universities, according to a transcript of the event reviewed by CNBC. He said company insiders told him they're working with the Chinese government or Chinese authorities because they figured they might as well give the technology out the front door because if they didn't give it, it wouldn't get stolen anyway. Now, on Apple, Thiel said the company was unlikely to confront China because of its massive supply chain to manufacture products over there as well. So two targets for Thiel in the big technology world. Now, sticking with technology in China, the Senate Commerce Committee is reportedly planning to hold a hearing on a bill to take on Beijing in that sector. According to Reuters, the panel will hold a hearing on Wednesday the measure to boost U.S. tech research and development efforts in a bid to address competition with China. Well, we have been telling you about air travel slowly but surely returning here in the U.S., and now a new airline is entering the market amid that bounce back in travel demand. Phil Lebeau joins us now with that story. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Dom. It's been a long time since we've seen a brand new full mainline airline. We're not talking about a regional airline, but a mainline airline starting up here in the United States. Say hello to Avello. Avello is the first uh, full line airline to be started in the U.S. since 2007. It's going to be based in Burbank, California, with flights starting in three weeks. So what's the flight plan here? They're going to be targeting leisure travelers with flights to 11 cities in the western United States. Think Eugene, Oregon, Ogden, Utah, Grand Junction, Colorado, serving those underserved markets. According to the CEO, 
That's the key, as well as making sure that they can meet what he sees as growing demand. We all believe that we see light at the end of the tunnel and it's coming soon. And and we stand uh, in a great place to get started here and especially being up and running for the uh, summer peak season. Should be good. So what kind of demand are we seeing right now for air travel in the United States? Right now, you're looking at levels being down anywhere between 30 and 40 percent compared to pre-pandemic levels. So it is improving. At one point, Dom, it was down 60, 70 percent. Take a look at the airline index. One reason why the airline index is higher, most of the carriers, I shouldn't say most, a good portion of the carriers are now saying that they have gone to cash flow break even, that they reached that point in late March, and they believe that they can sustain that now that they are seeing regular increase in demand in terms of people flying here in the United States. So, Dom, Avello is the new airline to check out the next time you are out west, based in Burbank, targeting those underserved markets. And by the way, Andrew Levy, the CEO, he was also among the first executives when they were starting up Allegiant. And at the time, a lot of people said, what is Allegiant doing? They're flying out of Rockford, Illinois to Orlando. This is never going to work. Oh, it's worked. It's worked well. And he thinks they can duplicate that success at Avello. Well, Phil, Phil, you and I have to figure out when they're going to start flying to North Bend, Oregon, so we can take our Bend and Dunes golf trip together. They're flying to Bend. (laughs) They're going to Bend. I don't know how close that is to North Bend, but they are going into Bend. It's a little bit further away there, but they they, they got to get get to the coast out there. Phil, the, the airline industry over the last four to five decades has been one with scale as the key component to success. We've seen a lot of consolidation. A lot of those mid-level carriers have been bought up or gone by the wayside over the years now. How important is it for these guys to get some kind of a scale, or is it just going to be tough to compete with the likes of the Southwest, the Americans, the Deltas at all? Well, it's tough to compete with the big boys if you're trying to fly in their hubs in their big cities. For example, they're flying into Grand Junction, Colorado. They believe that there are enough people on the western slope, if you will, of Colorado who are tired of either having to drive to Denver International or to take a regional flight into Denver International. They would prefer to fly out of Grand Junction. That's a smart tactic. There are pockets around the country of these underserved markets. So they have a chance to succeed. Now, if they go head-to-head with Southwest, Spirit, United, American, others, where they say, look, we can offer as many flights. They, they, they can't do that right now. But that's why they're targeting these underserved markets. They believe that they can pick off those travelers and then steadily grow the business. All right. It's, it's a low point for the air travel industry for sure right now. We'll see if they timed it pretty well with their entry. Phil Lebeau, thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Coming up on the show, the future of fitness in a post-pandemic world. We talk with the CEO of one application looking to capitalize on the shift from working out at the gym to working out in your living room. But first, as we head out to break, some of your other top stories. Robinhood reportedly did not report trade executions on fractional shares on its public data feed last year. That's according to a Reuters report. This, as Bloomberg reports, the brokerage has been holding talks with lenders about adding to its revolving credit lines ahead of its anticipated IPO. Bain Capital is closing in on an $8 billion deal to buy Japanese industrial conglomerate Hitachi Metals. That's according to reports. The potential deal is the latest sign of rising global private equities interest in Japanese groups. And Instacart and DoorDash are reportedly planning to launch their own credit cards. 
According to the Wall Street Journal, J.P. Morgan will issue Instacart's rewards credit card and is bidding for DoorDash's card as well. Those are your top headlines there. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. As the pandemic forced gym closures across the country, at-home fitness platforms like Peloton, Mirror, and Apple Fitness have surged in popularity. And apps that primarily use your phone could be a pandemic trend that sticks around. Joining us now is Rishi Mandel, co-founder and CEO of Future, which is an Apple iOS-based app that uses iMessage to pair users with professional virtual coaches. Rishi, thank you very much for joining us this morning here. Take us through the model. What exactly is it about stay-at-home fitness that requires coaches and the top-tier ones that you're offering for your price? Great to be here, Dominic. And, you know, to understand the history of fitness, you really only need to know one number, which is very stably for the last decade plus, 80% of Americans don't exercise enough or at all, despite there being a gym or a studio in every city, block, and town corner um, out there. And so the history of fitness is people picking up new content devices, memberships every single year. The majority of us do it. Uh, and then we fail at huge rates. And so by pairing you with a coach who's connected to you through your phone, we give our members an Apple Watch so they can see you know, your activity data and keep you accountable. What we've done is really drive a mechanism for accountability. That's what's different about future, and that's what we're seeing great returns in so far. Rishi, now, when you say pair up with coaches, you're not just pairing me up with any coach out there. We are talking like top-tier pro trainers, NCAA collegiate strength and conditioning coaches. What exactly is the driving force behind that? And then what's the price I have to pay for it? Right. You got it. So, you know, what we've been doing at Future is over the last several years, we've been amassing talent. We've been going through the top tier professional sports leagues and teams. And, you know, like you said, NCAA programs and hiring the best of the best trainers and strength coaches to our staff. All of our coaches are employees of the business. And when, when you become a member of Future, we pair you one-to-one with one of these great coaches. And like I said, they'll be connected to you 24-7 over text and through our app. And you know what we find is that what great coaches do is they not only build you an, an ever-flexible program of things that you should be doing, uh, incorporating being outside, being in the gym, being at home, whatever uh, your lifestyle demands, but they also then uh, can drive accountability, keep you uh, consistent. And so that's what we've been going off and doing. And we've seen, um, you know, explosive success with it so far. What exactly is it going to cost me? It's going to cost you the price of about one session in person. So, uh, you know, to see someone of these people in person, be a hundred, hundred fifty dollars uh, for one session and futures, $150 a month. And you get access to this person every single day. Now, the trends here, this is a hot part of the market right now. How has the fundraising effort on your side been going? And what are the aspirations right now? You've worked at Google before. You've done a lot of work with regard to its initiatives there. You take a look at the tech landscape and tell us whether or not you think that going public right now is a tougher task or whether or not the whole SPAC boom is something that you're paying attention to right now. Yeah, absolutely. You're paying attention to it. Um, you know, I think, frankly, it's healthy for companies to get out and be public a little bit earlier uh, in the life cycle. I think companies had tended to stay private quite long. And and um, and and now we've seen the ability for 
for companies to go get a broad base of investors, find the patient ones, um, and plan for the long term. You know, our company is a is younger. We're just a few years old, and and we recently did a big financing for us, and and we're seeing, like you said, just a you know a, a huge trajectory, um, and a lot of people who are th- rethinking how they approach fitness, and so. Um, you know, there's more on the horizon for us. All right. At Home Connected Fitness with top coaches, Rishi Mandel. Keep us updated on your progress. We appreciate your update. Great to be here, Dominic. Thanks. All right. On deck for the show, futures on the rise as the S&P looks to push further into record territory. Our market panel lays out the catalyst to keep the market momentum moving to the upside. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now indicating a more stable yet positive open here. Remember, the S&P 500 is coming off a record close. It's implied higher by just about 12 points at this stage. Some of the key market themes to watch. Interest rates driving a huge part of the market conversation over the past several months here. Ten-year Treasury note yields currently moving just a bit to the downside this morning. Still, though, coming off some of the highest levels in over a year, 1.65%, the last trade there. Again, some of the highest levels in over a year at this point. Also, check out what's happening right now with growth versus value, another theme that's developing out there. Over the last year, you can see those growth stocks have outperformed, but the gap has been narrowing as of late, just over the last few months or so here especially. So keep an eye on growth versus value. And then... As for the last one to watch, is it the U.S. or elsewhere that are providing some of the best gains? Well, the white line is emerging markets. And as you can see, just about the fall of last year, we started to see a bigger trend higher for performance in emerging market stocks versus the S&P 500. They're just about the same over the course of the year. We'll see if that emerging market trade plays out again. Let's bring in our panel to discuss. Jeff Korzenik, the chief investment strategist at Fifth Third Bank and author of the new book, Untapped Talent, How Second Chance Hiring Works for Your Business and the Community. Also with us, Anwiti Bahugana, Senior Portfolio Manager and Head of Multi-Asset Strategy at Columbia Threadneedle Investments. Jeff, Anwiti, good morning to you both. Anwiti, let's start with you here first. Let's talk about this notion that the markets right now are priced for perfection. I've heard it so often before. As a manager of money, are you worried about the current state of the market? I don't. Thanks for having me. Um, I think if we look at the minutes from the Fed yesterday, we saw a very dovish stance from the Fed. They're talking about above trend growth for two to three years and inflation that is slightly above their target. And yet we saw interest rates not rising for three years. So to answer your question, the background is really conducive to risk-taking, and all the indices that you just had on the board are simply reflecting how attractive conditions are for equities and generally risk-taking at the moment. So, now, risk, could- so risk-taking is, is positive right now. J- Jeff, do, do you agree here? It, it, it feels like the markets have run so quickly to the upside here. Is it still a situation where I can feel comfortable about investing in stocks and, and, and adding more money to positions? In fact, we at Fifth Third feel there's some urgency to this. You have this mountain of cash. Markets climb a wall of worry. You have a favorable Fed. All of that adds up to our thinking as a time when you need to own equities. 
There may indeed be towards the end of the year or early into uh, next year, there may be some consolidation and some more concerns over this loss of momentum. But you really can't fight this Fed. You can't fight the wave of money that's coming into the economy and into the investment markets. Uh, on Woody, with that with that in mind, I, I guess as we look towards the, the favorite parts of the market, I highlighted a couple of them in, in, in the segment just before you guys came on. This notion that we've seen emerging markets, places outside the U.S. do somewhat better than the U.S. markets right now. Can we expect to see that kind of performance continue, the, the world kind of lead because it's been playing catch up over the course of the last several years? Yes, I I 100% sort of agree with the um, assessment that Jeff had out there also, that we do expect non-U.S. stocks, particularly emerging market stocks, to continue to outperform U.S. stocks. Your graph showed that in the one-year period, they're neck to neck. And indeed, for the last month or so, U.S. has been catching up, uh, partly on the back of a little bit of dollar strength. But as the year progresses, we expect dollar to be weakening again and international stocks to continue to outperform U.S. stocks. Are there parts on Woody, if you allow me to follow up here, are there parts of the emerging market that you think are better positioned to do well as opposed to just saying buying the basket of all of them in an ETF form? Um, we particularly favor emerging markets in the Latin America region at the moment. I think they have most of the catch-up to do if you look at their performance versus um, rest of the emerging market. And yes, they are coming off a rather pretty terrible COVID environment. So there is, um, it's generally been ignored for the last year or two. And that's one area where I think we are going to see some catch-up performance. All right. Uh, Jeff, as we talk about this notion that there are kind of favored parts of the market, we've talked a lot about this idea that the big technology and media communications type stocks have been underperforming over the course of the last six months after outperforming over the last 10 years. Do we see a resurgence, a move back to big technology and, and comm services? I think this is a pretty broad market where uh, will we, we will see most boats being lifted. However, we still continue to favor SMID, domestic SMID stocks, as well as emerging a market. Part of the rationale here is that this is a Federal Reserve that really means what they are saying. They want to reinflate prices. They want to keep uh, rates very, very low, which means the short end of the curve is going to be anchored. But we do anticipate rising bond yields. That tends to stand in the way of some of these richly valued tech and telecom large cap names. Okay. Are, are, so when you say SMID, small and mid cap type stocks, are yes. there certain sectors that are going to be the ones that are, are, are the ones you want to invest in domestically here? So certainly the consumer is going to benefit here, but we also think some of the industrial names and even some of the material names can benefit in this kind of environment. Okay. On Woody, we're, we're going to give you the last word here. If you can talk a little bit about the macro picture as you see it right now, you talked about this idea that we'll see constructive moves for risk assets. Are there things in your mind right now that you're paying the most attention to that could derail that upward thesis for risk assets going forward? Yes, Tom, I think the most obvious one is if we see um, any sort of setback in COVID vaccination, either through some new strains or something, that is a perennial risk to the markets. But the second point is um, to do with inflation. Right now, markets 
very much think that that is the tail risk in the market if it comes in stronger and more persistent than the Fed is anticipating at the moment, then that could be an issue. All right. On Woody, Jeff, thank you both very much for your thoughts. We appreciate it. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up, picks up the market coverage and it comes up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.